Welcome in to 2-4 Drafts. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner, the Monday edition of 2-4 Drafts, following the 2020 NFL Draft. I know we said on Sunday, yesterday's pod, we were going to be doing a deep dive into the draft classes for the AFC and NFC, but we were pushing that to Wednesday and Friday because we got to do more research. We need to prepare, Mike. We yep. need to be all in for these draft classes. We're going to be doing picks we would change for every team. Biggest impact rookie, biggest hole, like season outlook, like real big stuff, not just favorite pick, least favorite pick, not just making fun of the Packers. It's going to be actually deep dive. We might still do that, though. We might still make fun of the Packers, but it's 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 going to be a different type of making fun of. You know, it's going to be more deep, not high level. Not, <laughs> no high level jokes. They're going to be uh, funnier jokes. <laughs> but today we're, we got a mailbag. We just sent out. You know, let's get some questions. Uh, you know, some, answer some draft questions on the 2020 NFL draft. We are skipping over 2021 questions. We're not ready. We're not ready for the 2021 NFL draft. But we will also have. <laughs> We also have interviews with Steven Ruiz, uh, the lead NFL writer at For the Win. And then we also have an interview with Seth Galina, PFF's own Seth Galina, who's got both of those guys got some takes on this quarterback class, which will be great to get to at the back end of the podcast. Mike, are you ready to answer some questions? Let's hear them. From Benjamin Robinson, what was your favorite draft reaction of a player? Favorite GM setup? I guess these are more fun questions. Let's get, just just answer the favorite GM setup and just tell us why it's Cliff Kingsbury's. Oh, that's he's not a GM, but <laughs> oh, that was true, favorite. True. Uh, I'm trying to think of the GM setup. So we didn't we didn't get to see shit. I actually liked Bill Belichick's with his dog at like a dining room table that was like not, not well interior designed at all. If we're gonna be keep it 100, percent but uh, that one was cool. We just gave his dog a treat at the from his keyboard apparently. So I think my favorite, that was my favorite actually, GM setup. It's going to be Dave Gettleman's because I know that binder was just the, the draft guy, like PFS draft guy. Oh, yeah. You printed it out. Yeah. All right. My uh, favorite uh, reaction, though, 100%. I mean, I don't know sure if this is reaction, but CeeDee Lamb stealing or his girlfriend taking his phone oh, yes. and then him just like <laughs> yanking it back from her. Who Who hasn't among us has not been there? Oh, man. Oh, man. And I, I, Henry Ruggs in the Old Spice robe was decent regardless. All right. On the Nate, Julian Aquara's ceiling and how effective could he be as a rookie? Mm. Is there a ceiling for him? I'm, I'm not. No, his ceilings. I think it's pretty high. If we're keeping it 100, like he was, I've said this before. He was on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. He was in the top 10 because he clocked like 23 miles per hour or something crazy, and uh, his top speed. He is legitimately like him and Caleb on Chase Hunter is probably the two best edge defenders, just like in terms of pure movement skills in this class. Like obviously Chase Young with his size, but he can't actually, you know, doesn't have the the top end speed or the, you know, the change of direction ability that those two guys do. So uh, I, I think that I could see him being, you know, at some point in time, a top 15, 20 edge defender in the NFL. Like that, that's, I don't think he has like a capped sort of ceiling. Obviously he's not going to be Von Miller because Von Miller is like another level, but like, I think he could be very, very good. Yeah, I would agree with you. All right. Uh, let's two jets questions here. Okay. Uh, and what role do you see Ashton Davis playing for the Jets? And could Bryce Hall be a day one starter? That's an interesting question, the Ashton Davis one, because I think I envision him just being like a, an actual him being a safety and Jamal Adams role kind of changing to. Yes. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think he's your prototypical safety at that point. He's doing like anything they need him to do on any given play. But I think you do start Marcus May and Ashton Davis at that point and then just let. I basically just let Jamal Adams rip, like let him go do whatever he wants to do, you know? 
That would be ideal. That would be yeah. definitely ideal. The second question, and let's go three here because he threw in a bunch. It's from uh, Nick underscore Mitch 25. Could Bryce Hall be a day one starter? And how much does Mims affect this offense? I think he has to be. I mean, look at the cornerback depth chart there. Yeah, uh, true. I think, I think that dude needs to step in right away. You got Pierre Desir. You got Bless Juan Austin from last year. And then you got Arthur Matt. Like, they got nothing. They got not much in terms of the way of talent. So, uh, I do think he is a day one starter for them if fully healthy. And then how much does Mims impact this offense? I think the speed just in and of itself was necessary addition. That'll at least, you know, keep defenses honest that what you lost from uh, Robbie Anderson, he gives you to a degree. I'm not sure. Like I said, I wasn't as high on him as everyone else. So I have really have no clue what to expect from him right out the gate, but that speed will at least play. All right. Uh, do you envision Judy having any difficulty adjusting to the outside and playing versus press coverage in the NFL? This one's from T-Bomb88. No. I'm going to say no. No way. Hell There's no. There's zero chance. He, he was – so we love big sample sizes here, yes. But the way he just, like, annihilated press coverage when he when faced with press coverage, I feel very confident. You know, it wasn't a big sample size. Only, like, 100 snaps all last year. But man, guys didn't even get their hands on him. And yes, it's college to NFL, and he's slightly built. But but you don't need to be if you can get off the line, you know, that quickly and have that shake to you. I feel good about him getting off the last scrimmage in the end. Absolutely. I mean, you watch. You can go back and watch all of Jerry Judy's press reps, and you see him win consistently against press coverage. He didn't see a lot of it. I mean, not a ton. I mean, Ceedee Lamb saw very few press coverage snaps, but I feel really confident. Uh, I do think Jerry Judy, though, and you've mentioned this before, struggled with physicality a bit down the football field, like at the yeah those things. But like at the line of scrimmage, you just can't touch him. Like he doesn't he doesn't deal with physicality at the line of scrimmage because no one can get his hands on him. Exactly. <laughs> That's where he's at. All right, Adam Stanfield six. Since you'll be packing it up. As a Packers fan, which team made which team's draft made you want to be their fan? Ooh, that's a good question. Browns. I will say right? the Browns. Browns. Yeah, the Browns really like they've had some drafts that we've been fans of, obviously, and, and it's all for naught if Baker doesn't come good. But the Browns, another draft where it's just like, damn, they kind of made some decisions that we like. So we'll see uh, if this is the year it finally turns out around for them. I mean, Jordan Elliott was a great pick. I mean, J- oh, no, wait, no, wait, wait, wait. I take that back. The Bengals, 100%. Like, I'm going to be going to games, actually, this year. <laughs> I actually, instead of going and tailgating and just staying in the lot during the game, I might actually go into the stadium. Yeah, I, I remember you text me, like, let's tailgate, but never go to the games with the Cincinnati Bengals. Now you might actually head into the stadium. All right. Hopefully I won't get arrested if I go to the games, actually. Yeah, let's not bring that up. Let's not bring that up. Aaron Marshall, uh, where do the Packers dra- Where does the Packers draft rank among worst of all time? <laughs> Ooh, this is a good. So this was, I will say, the most universally day of the draft panned, like panned universally draft I can remember. Of any I, I agree with that. Like the interesting part is it could be good if Jordan Love I don't say could be good, but Jordan Love is a very high variance. You, you people could be looking back on this in four years and pointing out, oh my God, they got an F from this outlet. Look at how good Jordan Love is, sort of thing. And it's gonna be dumb because that's not why it necessarily got an F. If you drafted Jordan Love and then two good guys in the second and third, they'd probably be getting B's and A's. But the second and third rounders are that was the worst day two I can remember from any team ever. All right. The Fred Zilla. I'm not gonna you just I'm don't have an impact. You just don't have an impact from day two. That's yeah. all. That's all. All right. The Fred Zilla. I saw that you were high on Mooty for the Broncos, but where will he play with Riser and Glasgow at guard? 
Yeah, so he's a backup guard, which is fine because he needs to get healthy, apparently. Like, he doesn't fall to the sixth with his tape without those injuries being a very big lingering concern for most teams, which is the thing there. So uh, you have depth along the offensive line, which is a good thing in the NFL yes. day because guys get hurt. The amount of times you make it through a season with all five starters, all five games, or all six, 16 games and soon to be 17 games is slim. So that's a very good depth pick there. From Clonk. HMRC. I don't even know what this t- handle is here, but do you think the Panthers got much better that that they look that they took themselves out of the high end QB market for 2021? Oh, okay. So are they are the Panthers still in the high end 2020 okay. QB market? I don't think so. I don't think they were before this draft with Teddy Bridgewater. Like I like paying Teddy Bridgewater is what they did, and like they had a pretty good roster. Signed Robbie Anderson, like Chris McCat. I don't think this is, team was in the running for Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence before, and then adding Derek Brown. I don't know. I, I don't think they were ever there. I think it's a solid draft. And I think that puts them firmly in kind of the eight and eight territory next year. Yes. Which I, I, I would which, argue. Maybe so, yes. worse. <laughs> so I think they're not in the, I, I do not believe they are in the Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. And I guess now Trey Lance sweepstakes. If LaVisca Chenault was draft eligible after 2018, where does he go in the 2019 NFL draft? Oh man, that's a good question. I mean, the injury thing was still a concern back then, but I think he probably would have been, I bet he would have gone like the similar range just because of the injuries. Although he may have, he may have snuck into the first round because everyone's like, I'm not sure he was a better prospect than, I don't know. He was a freak. I'm just like really debating this one in my mind. He probably goes first round last year. Yeah, I would agree. What he did as a sophomore was absurd. And then the junior Um, year, the more injuries built up, the more people are like, oh shit, we got a, this is a red flag sort of thing. Why did Christian Fulton fall so far in this draft? His wingspan? He didn't put so if you just solely judge his 2019 tape, I can see not drafting him in the first round. And like, I can see, that's I'd be fine, like, I'd be fine with the evaluation of where he went. To me, it's the 2018 tape that is different and it looks special. And it's why I thought he's one of the best. And he had a legitimate and a, again, a legitimate excuse for the bad 2019 tape that he hampered an ankle injury all season long, uh, that he suffered you know, before the Texas game, re injured in the Texas game. So that. Uh, being undersized, not being super physical, and then having, you know, all not, I don't even want to call it average tape, but just not probably first round tape is why he didn't go that highly. So, so I think it's going to be a steal, though, for the Titans in retrospect. Where does this draft for Dallas put them in the N- NFC? Oof, I mean, so the thing is, you're still not great defensively. Like, as much as we love the pick of Trayvon Diggs, he's still raw. Uh, you know, he's just switched from wide receiver to cornerback a few years ago. And it, it showed at times. And that's why he got torched against Jamar Chase and LSU. He may not be good from day one, but we still like the pick because it's, you know, you're not drafting for day one. So I think they still have serious question marks defensively. You can't just lose Byron Jones and not, not worry about that side of the ball. But this is, this is a team that could be in the conversation for the best offense in the NFL. That's how good they are on paper right now. So, that helps, you know, the, the Chiefs yeah. did not have I mean, elite defense year, by any year. means, you know? So I, I think this puts them, I will say, I think they should be favorites in the NFC East next year. Absolutely. I mean, second year in Kellen Moore system, you add CeeDee Lamb. I mean, the offensive line is still very good. Dak another year. Like, I, I think this offense is going to be fantastic barring injury next year. All right. Day three guy most likely to have an impact. And why is it Geno Stone? <laughs> I didn't, I, 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 I I'll actually Stone. say. <laughs> I was looking through and doing this and I think it might be 
Kayvon Wallace for the Eagles, the team we just didn't touch on in the East. I think he, fourth round pick, they need a safety. I think he's the guy there. I think he ends up winning the starting safety job and could be an impact guy right out the gate. So I'll go with him. Of the three linebackers the Bengals drafted, who will have the best career and why from V underscore string? And so to remind you, Logan Wilson, Akeem Davis Gaither, and Marcus Bailey. So people were saying Davis Gaither has bone on bone in his I knee. I love that. Yeah, that sounds rough. I don't like that. I, I'm going to ignore that and still say Akeem Davis Gaither just because I think he's the best of the bunch. I love his tape. He is easily the most athletic of the three they drafted. Uh, some explosiveness to his game. I think he's what translates to the NFL. Now, I, I'm fine with Wilson and Bailey. I, I like them as players also, but not, not to the degree that Akeem Davis Gaither can impact coverage and as a blitzer. I just think he's kind of like him and Patrick Queen were the guys who were modern undersized linebackers, the guys you want who despite being undersized can still get the job done and take on blocks and that sort of thing. So I'm going to go with Davis Gaither. The injury from what I kind of like read briefly sounded like the same thing that dropped miles Jack. And now we're in what year six of miles, year six of miles, Jack five of miles, Jack, and nothing's showed up. So we'll see. That's all you really play for anyway, is the rookie contract. I'm with you. I love that King Davis Gaither. Yeah. All right. Uh, do you personally believe Drew Locke will succeed or fail next season? I mean, it's all it all depends on him. They got Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Noah Fant, Albert Okui Boonam. I, I, I mean, he, they gave him some weapons. Do you think Drew Locke finds a way to succeed? So I want to bring up two things here. One, I just my pre-draft evaluation. I don't think what I saw from him as a rookie is going to completely change that. And my pre-draft evaluation is that I I didn't think so. But two, I think a lot of like the stat, like the fact that his, the stats were bad and like the PFF grading was bad is heavily impacted by the fact that he played like ass in that game against Kansas city. That was in snow, like that snowed the whole game. And yes, Patrick Mahomes went for like 300 something and was not impacted by the snow whatsoever, but he's not human comparing drew lock to Patrick Mahomes. Let's not do that lock. Like it's not unreasonable for a rookie quarterback to just get severely impacted by the snow. Now we had that one throw where he just went completely across his body to the opposite side of the end zone. That was pretty rough, but I do think that game is dragging him down in a lot of, you know, the analytics quote unquote projection. So uh, I'm uh, optimistic, but like I said, he didn't show me anything as a rookie that really made me change my opinion on his pre-draft from the Allen echo best role for CD lamb as a rookie. Starter, I think I touched on this, the fact that Mike McCarthy plays three wide. That's what he does is they're going to be in 11 personnel, one back, one tight end, three wide receivers the vast majority of the time. So I, I think even if he doesn't use, you know, unseat Michael Gallup there, he's seeing the vast majority of the stats snaps. So I think, I think just they're all versatile is the best part about that receiving core right now. I don't think there's one, you know, there's not one X or one Y or one slot. They are all interchangeable, which is that's, that's the type of, those are the type of guys that Mike McCarthy had in green Bay when it was Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings, James Jones, like Donald driver, that receiving core, all those guys could line up anywhere on the football field at any given time and all succeed. And, and when they got Randall Cobb, that kind of changed. Cobb was the pure slot there and they kind of, had to be more static with their alignments. So I, I think this is better. And, you know, the best years of Rogers were when they had that ability for uh, to any guy to fill any role. And that's the type of receiving core they have there in Dallas. That's how I would want to build my receiving core as well. 
All right, from A. Carter, most um, most surprising player that went undrafted. Hunter Bryant to me was very surprising, and I was I honestly was just texting some guys in the NFL that I know, some uh, assistants, being like, "What? Do you know why? Like, have you heard why?" And the he did have a knee injury before, uh, you know, at end of his freshman year that dragged into his sophomore year, that maybe got flagged and is still an issue. I'm not sure. But he also said that a lot of teams would just take him off their boards because no, no one thought he could actually inline block. Like no one was oh, of the wow. opinion that he was going to ever be an inline blocker. And so he said, some teams that's just like, you're done for you. Like at the tight end position, that's all they don't want a guy like that anymore in this day and age in the NFL. So, so yes. that he was I- off a lot of boards for that. And then maybe there was a medical, but he also said the guy texted said he expected someone who was of the on a team that didn't care about inline blocking to still be drafting him in like the third. So we'll see. Uh, he ended up with Detroit. I, I think he makes the roster there. Like if you signed him, you obviously don't mind that he doesn't block. So I bet he would make the roster. Man, that, that advice or that feedback needs to be given to some college tight ends. Like the, the fact that teams take tight ends off their board, if they can't inline block. Like, dude, you better strap it up. Like you yep. can't just be a oh, yeah. tight end. That's a, that's good. That's interesting to hear. All right. Could some of these Arizona Cardinals players, some of the PBF favorites, Andy Isabella, Byron Murphy, Zach Allen, make second year leaps in 2020? I fuck, I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Andy Isabella is the one who just, I can see why it was a transition. He was, the competition level was massive and he's was a guy who started at running back at UMass. Didn't, you know, had a breakout late in his career was still, you know, relatively raw to the receiver things that you would ask him to do. So I can see, you know, him going to the NFL and it being a big transition for him. Zach Allen was the one who I thought would be a little more NFL ready and could produce. So, but that, that doesn't always, you know, that's not always the case though, in terms of how these guys develop. So, I mean, uh, Isabella was a first round talent on PFS board. Byron Murphy was cornerback one. And like, we were big fans of Zach Allen coming out of Boston college. I think like second round type of talent. Like they, yeah, yeah. I will say though, if I'm putting saying one guy gets a lot better this year, I'm going to say Byron Murphy. Yes, I mean he was, had some impressive reps on tape last year. Like it was, like he earned a bad grade, but like they, at least you you saw yes, it yes, sometimes. Yes, like you why. definitely saw it sometimes. And uh, he's a guy who was young coming out. He was only uh, had just turned 21 coming out. Was a redshirt sophomore. Only really one year as a full time starter. So I, I think there was reasons to believe he could struggle out the gate, but then get better as his career went on. I fully expect him to do so this upcoming season. All right. From Cole Haynes. Do you think that picking Cesar Ruiz means the saints plan on trading Larry Warford? Uh, no, I, I think that would be silly to trade Larry Warford. Is it Cesar Ruiz also very young though? Like I could see them not wanting him to yeah. start right out of the gate. Yeah. Cesar Ruiz is young and it's like, you what could you get for a an aging i want to say warford's like 29 or 30 a 30 year old guard who's like a fairly average to above average guard in the nfl right now are you gonna who has one year left on his contract are you gonna get a fifth for him maybe that's worth with the team that's ready to win a super bowl right now that warford is worth more than a fifth like the, the insurance policy of injury on the interior is worth more than a fifth to me so and especially with and I think Steve brought this up on one of the things like Tron Armstead's always hurt. That guy has always been hurt the last couple of years. And then they kick Andrew Speed out there. And then all of a sudden, you know, one of those guys is kicked into action. Either Ruiz, I'm not sure who's necessarily starting, but either Ruiz or Warford is kicking into that spot. So I think you keep him on the roster. 
All right, from Joe Didi, how will Marlon Davidson hold up being a full-time interior player? Will he fit next to Grady Jarrett in that D-line? I forgot that one's me. tough. Yeah. yeah. That's an undersized D-line. If you got Grady Jarrett on the nose, who's, I mean, he played nose at Clemson and has played nose over the course of his career, like been like a split-time guy at nose and three technique. But if you're playing him at like full-time nose, because you don't want Marlon Davidson on the nose at this point, that, that might be... It might not be great in run defense and Marlon Davidson might not be great in run defense either. So I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even be surprised if they have Marlon Davidson on the kind of base end early downs, because you look at their edge guys right now. I would agree. I think that that's what my exact thought process was. Cause like playing like, there is probably the easier transition. Yeah. Like if, if Tack McKinley's just not on the field until third downs, you know, because he's not a great run defender. Dante Fowler's not a great run defender. So if you just, Plot Marlon Davidson down on the edge, you know, base end, second down, third down, you know, more passing situation. That's when Dar- Davidson kicks inside. You bring Tack on. I think that's the move. I like that. Who could be this year's Darius Leonard, a guy that's lower on PFF's draft board that maybe outperforms that ranking, you know, in the NFL? Maybe considering uh, situation and, and, I don't know, overconfidence in our evaluation. I think Jeremy Chin is the guy I kept being hesitant to really pan that hard, even though I didn't like his tape because it was an odd, it was an odd role. He played like they, you watch his games in Southern Illinois and he's doing the same thing every single snap. Like they small school just sat in quarters and he just stood, you know, 12 yards flat footed and didn't make a lot of plays on the football for like, in my opinion, based on what he could have done with his athleticism, wasn't super instinctive or, um, necessarily explosive to the ball in, in his breaks and we're like reading you know, what was going on. But that's an odd, like that's not a role. That's not the role he's going to be playing in the NFL. So you're going to project into a different role and he's a free Creek athlete by every sense of the measure. And like you see that on tape, he can move just differently than the guys he's guarding. So I, I think if you do put him in a role, I can just take advantage of the athleticism. He can outplay being the 64th overall pick. And he was like hundredth something at hundred third or something on our draft board. He, he could outplay that. I, I could see that, but like I said, I was just tentative with him with, I just didn't love the way he, I guess, played football. That's the best way to say it. He just is not a, is not a physical guy despite having immense physical tools. From Lenny Longshoes, why were teams lower, a lot lower on Mims and PFF? I, I guess everyone though, like he fell further than a lot of people had Mims. And I think you have a good take on like why maybe the NFL didn't love Denzel Mims as much as others did. Well, so his tape this past season was, I watched his tape and then the board, when it first came out before senior bowl or anything, he was like 70 something. So he was even, I was even lower than where he ended up getting drafted on him. And then the senior bowl just looked different. And the combine was different than I expected. Having watched his tape, he comes off the line of scrimmage really high and got locked up in press coverage. He saw more press coverage than any wide receiver in college football this past season. And he played in the big 12 where CD Lamb barely saw press coverage. And you, you know why that is? It's because corners who saw him knew that they could press him was their best chance to get on Denzel Mims yeah. because he was bad at it. Like, and they knew that if they pressed CD Lamb, they were going to be fucking toast. So like they, they didn't go up and press him. So uh, I think that is the biggest thing is that he just his tape was not him. as good as his pre-draft process. And like that, yes. it's like, what do you want to hold more weight into? Like, yes, he's a freakish you know athlete at the combine. Like he dominated the Senior Bowl, but like. Are you, is that recency bias? But like the senior bowl is more than just recency bias. Like the senior bowl, like you're going against like top flight competition. You're running a more diverse route tree. Like there's, Mm -hmm. there's more value than just like 
it's more tape to watch. But like still, like I, you go back to his tape and you wonder why Parnell Motley locked him up, why Jeff Gladney took it to him a little bit. Like that's that's going to concern you when you're yes. drafting Denzel Mims. I think that's a good reason why he probably fell out of the first round. All right, now, least- where he went was very like. I'd take that chance where he went, but. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like that, 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 that was, he became worth it very quickly come day two. I, I, in my opinion. All right. Uh, from quarantine, max trail underscore blazer least favorite wide receiver pick. I'll start with mine. The Rams super early taking van Jefferson. I, I think there are better receivers on the board. And I think van Jefferson, like I've said before, I've said this on the broadcast before, but like he has to do all the little things well to really succeed and get open. And I just don't know how consistent you're going to see that in the NFL. I think that was a bit of a rich, maybe a bit of a reach for the Rams there. Yeah. And my thing, I agree. That's, that's my least favorite wide receiver pick. Unfortunately, love, love the Rams. Love my guy, Zach Robinson, who's their assistant wide receivers coach now, but he's, it felt like they wanted a guy who they knew they could plug into their scheme instead of, I don't want to say swinging for the fences, but you can do better than Van Jefferson, you know? Like Van Jefferson feels like he's capping out at like 800 yards a year sort of guy. Like he's not going to offer you much after the catch. He's he's just kind of a finished product with said, his dad being the Jets wide receivers coach and not being a high level athlete and being a little skinny, like and being t- almost 24 years old. That, that that's just a combination to. I don't see where you go from here for a guy who just like didn't produce at Florida or at Ole Miss. I mean, yeah, he's a finished product and he did yeah, like he's a finished product and did not have like that much of high end production of Florida. Exactly. That's yep. he's an older prospect. I mean, I had this take there, but like older prospects that don't produce, like th- that's a big red flag. That's a big Those concern. Yep. Especially well coached ones. Like that guy's well coached. It's not like it's not like he's gonna get much better coaching in the NFL level, like his dad, like you said, wide receivers coach. All right. It's like Kyle uh, Duggar is an older prospect at twenty four, but he comes he, you see room for development coming from Lenoir Ryan yes. and with yes. the physical tools he has. And that's, that's kind of the difference between when we talk, bring up age, it's like, there shouldn't be an excuse for Van, Van Jefferson should be who he is when you're that old with that kind of coaching, that sort of thing. Thoughts on Ross Blacklock to the Texans. I'm fine with it. We had other defensive tackles higher on our board at that point, I believe, but they were close. Like that second group of defensive tackles was pretty close outside of Jordan Elliott. We would obviously gone Jordan Elliott, but Ross Blacklock was, he is more athletic. He's if you're looking for like a pure three technique, he can be that guy in your defense. I'm not sure what kind of role they're doing. That's that wasn't necessarily DJ readers role. He wasn't a pure three technique at all, but so it's not really replacing him and what he brought to the table. But I think there's all the tools there to be a very good defensive tackle. So that was the, that was the one Texans pick I, I was fine with like the rest Oof, we, we talked about that a little bit, but yeah, I didn't love their draft. From the Andrew DB, the Vikings draft was pretty good, but it feels like they could have it could have been better. Did Spielman trade back too many times with value still on the board? I'm going to say no. Like, swing the bat more 10 times out of 10 and let these guys trade up because I think they added a lot of talent with their first four picks and then having so many swings late in the draft when, like, it's a crapshoot even more so, I, I think is smart. Like, that's just smart of the Vikings to trade back as much as they did. Yeah, I... I, I mean, the Saints offered them like four picks. The Saints offered them like four picks to come up for Adam Troutman. Like you take that every single time. Like they gave you four more opportunities to test your evaluation skills to try and grab players that could be good. Like I, I can't get on board with the idea that like they traded back too many times. Yeah, I, I, I don't think so at all. They addressed a number of, and they doubled up in a number of different positions that were the quote unquote holes on their roster. So I think that's a solid process there for them. 
What's your opinion of the Packers Hall on day three? We know day one and two were hot garbage, but is there any promise in day three? So this was crazy. So until their last pick in the draft, they hadn't selected anyone who we had higher on the PFF board than where they went draft selection wise. So John Runyon at 192 was lower on the PFF board. Kamal Martin at 175 was lower. Hanson 208 was lower. Simon Stepaniak 209 was also lower. Vernon Scott, we didn't even have ranked. And then Jonathan Garvin was the last pick of the draft who actually, I had him ranked in the very similar range to Jonathan Grenard who went third round to the Texans. And honestly, so Garvin, young guy, he's a true junior coming out and don't know what the hell he was thinking coming out early because obviously he went in the seventh round and isn't like that athletic, but he uses his hands really well and he sinks into his bull rush, pretty flexible guy. I think there's something to work with there. I think he could like get developmental sort of tools and also produced fairly well at Miami last season. So that was the one pick I get on board with Runyon is another, they drafted three athletic offensive linemen. That's kind of the Packers MO. They draft athletes on the offensive line. Runyon's one of the most athletic test, the most athletic at the combine. Did not think he was a tackle at Michigan. I, I wasn't, I didn't love his projection to the inside. I didn't think that was going to solve a lot of his issues. I just didn't think he used his hands well, which is kind of like part and parcel to playing off the line at any level. So I, I'm not sure it's going to necessarily be fixed by switching to guard, but it, it'll be better than tackle. Martin was a guy that a lot of people liked um, coming into this year, and then he got hurt and didn't didn't wasn't the playmaker that they thought he'd be, but he's at least athletic enough to hold up in the NFL, but I, I'm not particularly a fan. So day three was equally as uh, not okay. Not equally. Day three was just not super inspiring for the Packers. All right. Mims or Chanel, which has a better situation and, and which has the better long-term future between the two receivers. I think Chenault, because I don't think he has to see the field immediately. Like I think they're counting on Mims to do stuff right away, which I, I'm not sure which one's actually a better how if that's even better for a wide receiver, but I think Chenault can do his it can get healthy and they don't have to, you know, force him in if he's not healthy. He can he can sit there. So uh, I, I liked him more as a prospect. I like his physical tools more. He's just he's a sure thing after the catch. Like he is he will be dynamic after the catch. I know that Mims was never great after the catch at Baylor is much more of a route runner jump ball kind of guys like his bread and butter where he's going to win. And that's to me, it's just riskier at the NFL level. Cause you don't know how that's going to translate. I know that Chenault and his yak ability will translate. Did the Broncos do enough to address their secondary for the 2020 season? I, I don't think so. Like, no, I, not, this is, I, it was crazy that they did. They did pass on defensive back as often as they did. We we're not high on Michael Ojemudia. I get that. He's a scheme fit and Vic Fangio. I would trust his eye for his scheme to, to fit there. But at the same time, you can't just can't just take one swing and hope that that one hits because it's such a big need for them. Callahan comes back this year. You got AJ Boye, but all the rest of the guys in that roster right now, in terms of Yadam, uh, Bosby, it just, I don't trust those guys. And then Ochimudia third rounds, we were not high on. So I would have loved one more swing of the bat, but we'll see how it turns out for them. Biggest lesson you guys have learned while in while at it in relation to the draft. Biggest lesson I've learned. I, I think this one. I'll, I'll start. I'll start. Okay. I, I, I think 
it's foolish to be overconfident in any of your own evaluations. And it's smarter to lean on like the wisdom of the crowds in terms of identifying major reaches and major steals. You'll obviously value more players ahead of others. Like there's always going to be differences there, but like in terms of identifying like significant reaches and significant steals in the draft, it's smarter to look at the consensus of how other talented, well-informed evaluators look at this class when you're trying to think of like actual value for players. Like that's, that's where I kind of sat with like, yeah, you can like players over others, but like if you're trying to like actually think about pick value, just because he was like 10 spots lower on PFS board than where he was selected, but like still high in consensus, I still think you can talk about that pick being a good one. Yeah. I do think that admitting that this is very much a crapshoot and that Yes. Even you might love a guy, but which might which, which, which might lead to people stop following PFF altogether because this is <laughs> it's all a crapshoot. It's all just like all PFF is and all this podcast really is, is just like trying to have well-informed opinions on this draft class and on the decisions these teams make. However, like obviously it's still largely a crapshoot. But it's kind of like sports betting where it's just all you need is a few points in your favor. You just need to tilt the odds a little in your favor and then you're and consistently get that edge. And then over time you will be like, that will translate to wins. It's like over time that will, you'll be better than everyone else. If you're consistently putting the odds in your favor, just even for a little bit is the thing there. But my biggest thing that I've learned, and that's having from started this in the 2015 draft way back when, when we first graded college is just that athleticism is very important in the NFL. And there you go. That's a great one. And that yes. Um, like there are guys who get by with very poor athleticism, but it's rare and that you don't like it. Those are outliers as well. Like you can increase your odds by never taking a chance early on a guy who's just not athletic. I feel like early in like my, I like to draft a lot process. I, I was like, I would rather have a good football player than a traits guy. Cause you see yeah. so many traits guys bust early, but the reason you don't see good football players bust early is cause they aren't taken early. Like, like good football players that are bad athletes aren't taken high in the draft. And therefore like you can usually get like plus value out of them, but like very good athletes that maybe aren't good football players are worth the swing of the bat early. A lot of the time, because they have a higher ceiling because like these traits actually matter to like NFL success. Yeah. I, I would agree with that 100%. All right. Most interesting undrafted free agent signings, or maybe your favorite undrafted free agent signings. Ooh, I tweeted this out earlier and they are, let me, here I have the list of guys I thought were really intriguing. It is, gosh, how long ago did I tweet this? I like Parnell Motley to the bucks cornerback from Oklahoma. Now he's not a great athlete, but he was the one you mentioned locked up Denzel Mims. I think he's good in press and that's what the Bucks love to do here. I liked obviously Hunter Bryant to the Lions. We mentioned, we touched on that one. This one is interesting that I forgot in the Broncos talk. He's saying Bassey to the Broncos. I think he could factor into that cornerback room with, like I said, not a lot of talent there. He's one of, we pegged him. We're like, he's great in zone. Look like dog shit at the senior bowl. Cause he can't man cover to save his life. And he's, you know, five, nine, 185 pounds, but this dude has really good ball skills and really good instincts. So I like him. I like Tier Tart to the Titans. I identified him as one of my sleepers. FIU kid has the length, uh, has you know the strength to play hold up on the interior. And every year there's like one UDFA defensive tackle who's like crushing as a rookie, stuffing the run. You know, one uh, what's his face, Michael Pierce. There's a Michael Pierce. There's a Damon Harrison. There's a guy who just like comes out of nowhere, and you're like, where the hell did that guy come from? Maybe that's Tier Tart this year. And then I like. Tyler Huntley to the Ravens couldn't have gone to a better situation for him. I think he unseats Trace McSorley. So Tyler Huntley, the Utah quarterback, he's a better quarterback than Trace McSorley. And he's as athletic, if not more. So 
The fact that you're going to finish this rant without bringing up Aesop Winston Jr. of the Rams is an absolute disgrace. I was just put, I put a T-ball on a T there for you and you just knocked it out the park. <laughs> yeah, Aesop Winston Jr. is, is a steal for the Rams. I mean, I don't know if he makes the roster. Undra- I, they don't have I, a lot of, of... I feel like when I was like a, a big fan of the NFL, like I would get wrapped up in undrafted free agency and like looking at like how who player who teams are adding and like super excited about these players. But like, dude, the just percentage chance these guys make the roster, let alone make an impact, is so low that like trying to identify a couple names that you really like, guys that were high on the board, I think is the best process. But looking like at all the undrafted free agents you signed, you're like, oh man, like we got a bunch of guys. It's like, you know, like these guys are gonna be hard pressed to make the roster. Um I still love it. A fair, fair. What kind of floor does Matt Parrott have? Ooh, I mean, he's got a low floor. He's he, he's not he's not what we call you know the smooth moving athlete at the tackle position. He's not Jack Driscoll here in terms of a mid round tackle and the way he gets out of his pass sets. He's a little bit of a lumberer, so it could you know those guys it can be ugly eh, out the gate for guys like that. So it's good that he went to a place where he's not thrust into a starting role. Um, so it, it is a low floor, but again, he has the ceiling of a starting tackle in the NFL is what he showed on tape last year at UConn. And, and he's improved a lot over the course of his UConn career. So where they got him, that's where we would have taken him to. Will, and if yes, how Jalen Hurts get used in the Eagles offense this year? I'm going to have to take here. Yes, he's going to get used. I mean, Peter King said on the forecast the week before the draft that a very a team with a very good quarterback that believes in the Taysom Hill model is going to take Jalen Hurts. And I think that exact team is the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think they are going to find ways to get him on the football field, similar to how the New Orleans Saints get Taysom Hill on the football field. Now, Jalen Hurts is a much better quarterback, a much better thrower of the football than Taysom Hill. But I do think he's used similarly in that they bring him on the football field and try and get creative with his usage. I would love it. I I think if, I think Doug Peterson is hundred percent going to do that. And and the crazy thing was about people hating on this pick about whatever is that if if they called him a running back from day one, I think Eagles fans would like be happy about it. He's he's a dynamic runner. Like he could have played running back in the NFL, I believe, with how I thought four, five, nine, forty at his size, two twenty plus. Like he could do that. So um yeah, this I, I, I like this pick and especially like this pick if they do have a role like that in mind. All right, moving down the list here. <laughs> Trying to pick up a good question. Oh, I like this Kayvon Wallace one. Give me a recent pro comp for Kayvon Wallace, the new Eagles safety slash slot cornerback. I, I like Chauncey Gardner-Johnson as a recent pro comp. They're really similar to me in that they're thickly built slot cornerbacks and guys who played the slot in college. And that was like their role was just slot. They weren't really safeties, even though they're called safeties, uh, you know, in the draft. And Chauncey Gardner-Johnson goes to the Saints and – makes plays as a rookie. I think that's what you're getting with Kayvon Wallace. One guy said, Nathan Frank's shout out y'all recording again, truly grinding, man. Yes, this is a grind. We've been on this for a while. Um, GM of the Eagles, Mike Renner is on the clock. And with the 53rd selection, PFF underscore Mike takes, do you take Jalen hurts there? Or where would you go in it with, with the, how the board fell out? Fell I out? probably I don't. That sense. That's not, that's just not my, I'm I, I while I like I said, I, I don't hate the foresight of drafting a quarterback. I I would have drafted a guy more in like a I just wouldn't have drafted Hurts there. I would have taken my shots on this quarterback class in like the fourth, fifth round. Like where Fromm came off the board, that's where I would have loved to have taken a quarterback. Just because yeah. I thought it was deep in round two. So in the second round where they ended up drafting him, I think I would have gone Willie Gay Jr. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, absolutely. All right, last one here. Last question. Out of the main four offensive tackles taken, who do you think is going to be the top two? Ooh. I'll go Andrew Aiden Thomas is one. One. And I honestly... I, I, I honestly think worse is two. I think he's okay. in a great situation for him there in Tampa Bay with Tom getting rid of the ball quickly, staying on the right side. I think that that's a good call. Worse will be two, but it's so tough because I think if like four years down the line, I think Wills might be the best of this bunch, but just you, you don't, you draft for a rookie contract. You don't draft for a second contract. And, to maximize rookie contract, that guy's got to be good for the first couple of years. And I'm not sure you're going to get necessarily get wills be great. Um, you know, from day one. All right. That's going to do it. That's the questions for the mailbag pod. We're going to jump now to the interviews with Steven Ruiz and Seth Galina. Both of those guys were awesome. Love talking to them about the quarterback class. Seth always has some good takes on the quarterback class. I, I, he's always a, a good get on the podcast until next time on Wednesday, we are going to do NFC all draft classes, do a deep dive on all the draft classes in the NFC. And then on Friday, we are going to do the same thing for the AFC until next time. Austin Gale, Mike Renner, two for one drafts. Joining the Two for One Drafts podcast is Steven Ruiz. Follow him on Twitter at the Steven Ruiz. He's the lead NFL writer for For the Win. And I got to say, man, it's great to have you on the pod. I've followed you for a while, and I really do appreciate. One, I appreciate your content. You also have a podcast. I think it's called The Counter. And then you also do great article content for For the Win. And your Twitter banter is elite, my friend. I am always a huge fan. I find myself like, wow, that's just a good tweet. Wow, that's just a good tweet. So it's uh, it's great to have you on, Steven. I appreciate that. I'm just here because I'm assuming that I'll get a PFF ultimate login by the end of this. <laughs> man, I, I feel like I wish cheap. we could give those out. Man, I wish we could give those out because they're <laughs> awesome. I mean, they're, I mean, I remember at the Senior Bowl, like showing some of the guys we were talking. I mean, it was, we showed Seth. I mean, showed Seth before he came on as a PFF. Or like, this is what you know we have access to when we are trying to evaluate draft prospects. Is also, but also like just evaluating like NFL players, like going back and watching all their you know targets of ten plus yards and those things. Like it just makes things so much more efficient, which is um, very very helpful. Bets wants one too, so we're gonna have to start shelling these out here pretty soon. Um, <laughs> let's go ahead and get right into this, man. I want to start first with your favorite picks from this draft class. We'll get negative down the road, but I want to hear some of your favorite picks in this draft. Maybe days one, two, day three picks rarely freaking contribute. Like, let me hear some of the, your favorite day one and day two picks from this class. I feel like all the Cowboys picks I like, but that, I don't think they get credit. Those guys are just falling into their laps, but along the same line, the Tampa Bay pick getting Tyler Johnson when they needed a slot receiver, like, and being able to wait for him. I thought that the draft just worked out perfectly for the Bucks. I wrote this today. The article's coming out soon. They were a play. They were considered a playoff contender before the draft, and somehow they still drafted four players who I think could just walk into the starting lineup, which is kind of rare to say about a team like that that's already talented. No, so, sure, I would agree. <laughs> no, I was gonna. I was. I was gonna touch on that Cowboys thing. So you said they fell into their laps, and sometimes I like agree with that. But like that also means that there are people ahead of them that passed on them that made a mistake how much when you do like draft grades and look at a draft do you evaluate the actual decision that went into the pick in terms of like number two chase young whatever they were they're going to get a hall of famer like they were just in a spot to get a hall of famer or do you evaluate the actual talent added yeah when i was doing the grades that i took in all that into consideration like positional value who was left on the board what they could have traded down like the chase young pick like he's i think he's the best player in the draft i think you guys agree too but 
obviously he's not the most valuable. I would have liked to see them explore a trade down. I'm sure they did, but a trade down would have probably been the best move for their future. So I took a couple grades off of their their final grade and gave him, I think, a B plus. But they still made a very good pick. He's a like you said, Mike. He's a future Hall of Famer. Oh yeah. I mean, and so when you say like you know picks fall on their laps, like CD Lee, CD Lamb fall in the seventeen, and then Trayvon Diggs fifty one, like it takes it takes balls to let them fall in your laps. I don't know if you've read the piece from uh, Peter King, the Football Morning in America, but like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were trying to trade up since like for like since like pick seven, like they're calling every single team to make sure they grab Tristan Wurfs, and like they end up trading up one to thirteen. But like think about those teams that like don't like don't like aren't willing to just sit stay put and hope the player lands them. They're just like willing to get aggressive of mortgage future draft capital for non-quarterback trade-ups. I think it's it's impressive that the Cowboys, Jerry Jones, by himself on his yacht, was willing to just like sit there and say like, hey, I'm going to play the board. I'm not going to go get my guy because I'm so overconfident in my evaluation and go get, go and get him. I'm going to wait. He had his choice between Caleb on Chason, which I know the Dallas Cowboys were high on, and C.D. Lamb, a best player available. He didn't dream following 17. And, like, those are the teams that won this draft, in my opinion. It's the Cowboys right. that sat there and got C.D. Lamb. The Broncos, who were supposed to trade up, sat there and got Jerry Judy. Like, it's these teams that, like, don't feel overconfident, don't try and make drastic moves for non-quarterbacks, and just stay put, take the BPA. I think I, I agree that the Cowboys had a very good draft. Any other picks that kind of stand out to you? I just want to say, do we actually think Jerry Jones is social distancing right now? I think he had some company on that yacht. Point that out. <laughs> they got full I, right now. <laughs> walking like coronavirus yacht, right? <laughs> <laughs> just swapping viruses. Uh, uh, I really liked uh, – who else I like? I like the Dolphins draft. They had a lot of picks. And sometimes it's easy to to waste those picks. I thought they got a lot of good players. I didn't really like the Austin Jackson pick, but I could see why they drafted him. He kind of fits with their timeline. And they just kept adding defensive backs, which I love. Obviously, you guys work for PFF. You guys are leading that charge. That coverage matters more than pass rush. So I really like their draft. And I like the Robert Hunt pick. I think he'll start. I think he'll be a starter maybe by the end of this year. Uh, and then everyone loves the Vikings draft, right? They had like a billion picks. They had my Madden franchise draft capital. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they went in too. I mean, we we're not as high on Justin Jefferson as others were, but like, that's still a solid pick. Then you had Jeff Gladney as well. Like Cameron Dantzler where he felt, I think is good value. Like I, I think they made good picks as well. Let's get to the least favorite, my friend. Let's talk about some of your least favorite picks. I'll, I'll start with mine. I, I've said this before, but like AJ Dillon to Green Bay, like, are you serious? And then like, I really did not like the Kenneth Murray trade up. Like I, I don't like Kenneth Murray that high at all, but then the trade, you know, future draft or, you know, draft picks for him. I, I did not like those picks. Give me some of yours. I didn't really like the Steelers draft at all. Like I am not on the Chase Claypool bandwagon. Like I was not impressed by his tape at all. I know he had the big combine, but it just doesn't show up. And then there are other picks I don't think are impact players. And then another draft I didn't really like is the Falcons. I thought their best player that they drafted was Hennessy, but he's obviously a pick for the future. I don't like Terrell. I don't like some of their other picks. And I think that's a team that should probably be drafting for the now with Matt Ryan kind of getting up there in age. And I don't think they're far off from being a playoff contender if they fix that defense. And I don't think they fix that defense with this draft. What's a team that after their draft this year went from like maybe not Super Bowl contenders to Super Bowl contenders, if there is one? I don't think there's one of those, but I will say I liked what the Browns did. I think they had a good enough draft where 
I could push them from maybe being on the fence of playoff contenders to now where I think they are legitimately playoff contenders. If Wills is what I think he can be. Man, are we falling into the same trap last year? I, I feel like I love their I love their draft last year. I love what they did in the offseason. I love their draft this year. I mean, they practically went off the PFF board. It's obvious that we're going to like that draft with uh, who they brought in. I just hope that Baker can deliver. What's your opinion of Baker Mayfield? I know we're we're deviating a little bit, but what's your opinion of Baker Mayfield uh, after like kind of a down year in uh, in year two? I'll say I wasn't as high on him coming into the league as you guys were. And then after year one, I was like, whoa, this guy is not what I expected him to be. He's a lot better than I thought. And then year two, he is exactly who I thought he was going to be during his rookie year with just the the pocket presence, the yes. footwork issues, like all that stuff popped up. It was on his tape at Oklahoma, I, I think. And then it came back in year two. I don't know what happened in year one, but if he gets back to the year one Baker, then I think he's going to be a fringe Mike, top 10 so that's the funny. That's the funny thing. It's like if you swap those two years right now, people would be like, yo, Browns are going to the Super Bowl. Like you would, you, <laughs> right. would, you would be expecting like another jump, like another upward trajectory from him to like the next level of like almost maybe elite quarterback play at that point. So that, yeah, but I agree that his second year was what I expected more so coming out with those pocket presence issues. Gosh, I had one last, I can't think of my last question that I wanted to ask. I'll, I'll take the reins. Yeah. I'll take the reins. I, I got to bring up the Packers disaster or like, you know, believe disaster. They have like the consensus lowest draft grade for all the right reasons. Like, I mean, I think I saw NFL media give them a B plus or something wild, but like that no one really liked this Packers draft for all the right reasons. In my opinion, I mean, the AJ Dillon pick AJ Dillon wasn't on PFS top 250. I think they're my favorite pick of theirs was actually the Jordan love pick. The one that got the most flack early in the, in the draft process. What's your opinion of this Packers draft? Is it as bad? is it's kind of being projected i think so like i'm looking at <laughs> i'm looking at the class right now and i'm wondering which one of these players makes an impact in 2020 or maybe even 2021 like aj Dillon has the best chance but he's a running back and so he's not going to make that big of a difference <laughs> and then the jordan love pick like i don't get drafting for the future a future quarterback in this day and age in a post 2011 CBA where you just don't have the practice reps to really develop him. And Jordan love needs a lot of development. He's not going to get live reps. He's not going to get a lot of practice reps. I just don't see how him sitting on the bench for two years is really going to help him reach his potential. Okay. I figured out the question. You jogged my memory there. Running backs. We ask everyone about running backs and their value because we're obviously the running back haters over here at PFF. What do you think of what 10 guys, 11 guys going in the first three rounds at the running back position? Did you like any of them? Did you hate any of them? Let me hear your thoughts. I mean, I like the running backs, but I thought it was like one big group, one big tier at the top where like they're interchangeable. So I didn't understand drafting one in the first round. I, I understood it a little more in the second round, but I still was giving out like C's at the, at, at the most for those picks. I, I think you could just wait, just wait until round three or round four, even round three is a little high. Wait till round four. Like the difference between DeAndre Swift and Keyshawn Vaughn, I don't think it's that big. And I think PFF's data backs this up. Like as long as your offensive line's good, you, you don't, you don't need a great running back. So why, why not just wait? Yeah. The my, DJ my Dallas always, the fourth. Go ahead. DJ like, He's going to be about as good, if not better, than some of the guys drafting second, third. Now, he went to a bad situation, but, like, he's big, fast enough, has good balance. Like, that guy, the fact 
that you would go two rounds. You know, it's not two rounds worth of difference between some of those guys drafted in the second, in my opinion, especially AJ Dillon. I will say one of my favorite parts of the draft was Jonathan, the Colts trading up for Jonathan Taylor and just breaking all of the nerds' hearts. Like I knew Chris Ballard. Like if you hear him talk, you know he's not. He's not a nerd. Like that guy was just waiting to break up their hearts. Man, I mean that was like a, the the, tra- the well, he's like started off the off season by like trading first round to pay a player, and everyone's like, oh shit, Ballard, <laughs> right? Oh, he's, he's he's not doing it anymore. Then he trades up for running back, and we're like, he's not one of us. That's it. Oh, man. You're off the tape. No longer a nerd. All right, let's get on to um, Jake Fromm to Buffalo. Jokes aside, because I feel like the jokes come easy, but, like, what's your opinion of that pick for Buffalo, and what's your opinion overall for Jake Fromm? I really – I didn't like Jake Fromm. I thought he was he was destined for the Kellen Moore track. Like, I watched his tape. I know his 2019 tape is not great. Like, if you want to get the best of Jake Fromm, go back a couple years. But – I get that he's smart and he can process quickly, but I saw a lot of hesitation from him in 2019. Like maybe it was him realizing he doesn't have the arm to make certain throws and that made him late on stuff. And I think a guy with his arm talent or lack thereof just has such a small margin for error where he has to be perfect. He basically has to be late career Drew Brees to get, to be able to be productive quarterback with that arm talent and that lack of athleticism and ability to throw on the move. So I, I just don't see a, a path where he can become a good starting quarterback, but he only has Josh Allen to beat out now. So maybe it happens. Man, you imagine if like <laughs> third year, Josh Allen, Jake Fromm just like beats him out in camp that what bills, what bills fans would go through there, but Dude, it'll, it'll never happen. But if it did, if it did, all right, I want to stay on the quarterback group, and I'm going to you know finish this one with like you talking about all the top quarterbacks drafted. Let's start with Joe Burrow and just like set realistic expectations for him in year one. They added T. Higgins, they have A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd. Offensive line is still a bit of a disaster. I'm not sure they, why they didn't go Josh Jones either in round two or round three. Jonah Williams obviously coming back from injury. We'll see how he pans out. But like, what are your expectations for Joe Burrow, knowing what you saw at LSU and now knowing the situation he's in in Cincinnati? I think it's going to be an adjustment for him playing behind that offensive line, but he does have good weapons. So I would not be surprised if he taught, if he like put up like 23, 24 touchdowns. And I also, I think he's going to have some turnover regression. I think he threw into tight windows a lot in college and he was really good at it, but I believe tight window throws are kind of volatile year to year. And those windows close a lot faster in the NFL. So I think there's going to be a learning period for him. I, I expect him to be look like a competent quarterback, be a, like the, in that 16 to 20 range, maybe 16 to 23. I don't, I don't see him like lighting the league on fire from the start. Yeah, I agree with that turnover sort of call there that he, he's not because he's not a quote unquote safe, you know, ball protector sort of quarterback. He was he'd sling it to tight, to guys that aren't open sometimes. And that just that can backfire on you quickly once you get to the league. So I agree with that. All right, give me now for Tua. Do you, do you even think he plays next year? Like, I, I'm interested to know like what you, what, what you think the Dolphins' plans are with Tua Tagovailoa, and if he does play, maybe give expectations for him. Well, I don't know if anybody's going to be playing next year, but uh, true, I would, true. <laughs> I, I think he's going to start from year one. I think you have to do that with these quarterbacks now. That's the only way to give them enough experience to really improve. I, I would I would say my ex- expectations are similar to what we saw out of Teddy Bridgewater last year, but obviously he doesn't have the supporting cast around him. He doesn't have Sean Payton calling up plays for him. I, I think like individually performance wise, that's what it's going to look like. 
I don't know how that will translate in statistically, but I think they're going to be comfortable with Tua going forward after this year if he stays healthy. This I is such a big drop off from talent for him too. Like I don't know how he's going to handle. Say, like I have a take on that, and that I would just give him like literally tell him now that I don't want him to play as a rookie and give him that almost peace of mind of like, you're going to work on all the small stuff, whatever you're going to develop, going to get healthy. And I don't want you to like worry about pressing to see the field this year because maybe. that offensive line's so shit. Like the offensive line is so bad right. still. And maybe start throwing with your right hand. <laughs> <laughs> maybe starts like not taking bad hits as much as he does. Is the problem. All right. Justin Herbert to the Chargers. I can't believe they made this pick at six. Like, I, I feel like they got bamboozled by, you know, these reports that Miami wanted to trade it for a tackle. They were off of Tua, the unreported injuries reported by the Palm Beach Post and Miami Herald, mind you. I, I, I think the Chargers wanted Tua, thought they could get him at six. I mean, there were mock drafts that had Tua falling to them at six. I think that's what they thought. And, and then they end up with Herbert. I, I, I do not like that pick at six, and I think they're going to regret this one. Yeah, I don't like it either. I thought Herbert was a third-round quarterback. I would, like just watching this tape, I just don't see NFL quarterback on there. I don't. I don't think he was really playing the position. He was just kind of going through the motions. Oregon's offense was so simple, and so, uh, I hated watching that tape. But I, I don't see how he makes this transition quickly. I don't expect him to play next year. I think well, that's not true because they have Tyrod Taylor. I think Taylor eventually will get benched just because of his conservative nature and there's going to be calls for the rookie anyway. But I don't think he's going to look ready to play. He's going to look like Josh Allen in 2017. All right, let's finish with this. I didn't I didn't have this question sent to you before, but I want to know your O-Roy, D-Roy favorites for next year. Who are guys? I mean, obviously it's like Joe Burrow, Chase Young, but after those guys, after Joe Burrow and Chase Young, who do you think has legit potential to take home that award? Those rewards. Uh, for offense, I'll say C.D. Lamb just because he plays for the Cowboys and he has a, a top 10 quarterback beating him the ball. Uh, defensive, uh, I would say Okuda, but I don't I don't think cornerbacks really win that award. No, yeah, like he'd have to have so many pick right. sixes like him to like actually be on like national buzz. Right, maybe Kinlaw. Just playing in that defensive line, I think he's going to have like so many opportunities. Going to be, it might be easier for him on that line than it was at South Carolina. So I could see him like maybe just getting nine, ten sacks and playing on a great team, and he gets enough attention where he wins it. Isaiah Simmons is obviously uh, is an obvious pick, but I'm not as high on him as other people. I don't, I don't know. I think it's going to at least take a year or two before he really becomes a star. I think you just yeah. got the obvious one there, Stephen. I probably did. He told me no, not to I pick said, Chase Young. I, I oh, said, not Chase Young? Young. I'm a, I you forgot, forgot the obvious one there. <laughs> Figure it out, Michael. Well, Steve, I really appreciate you coming on the pod. This was awesome. We're going to have to do this again. And uh, I look forward to your coverage uh, during the NFL season if it does happen. And, and uh, thanks again for coming on. All right, yeah, anytime. Joining the 241 Drafts podcast is PFF's own Seth Galina, a quarterback guru, a college draft NFL analyst here at PFF, a guy that I've grown to like after a Waffle House trip in Mobile. Seth, how you doing? I'm okay. I don't like. I don't think I should be called a uh, quarterback guru anymore because people are finding my old Patrick Mahomes takes. And oh, it's not no. Good. It's not good. <laughs> what were your old Patrick Mahomes takes? I think I had him fourth in uh, like QB4 in what, what year, 2017. I had I had Watson QB one. I mean that that's good. Except the two guys in the middle were very aren't very good. That's the yeah, thing. The amount of people too. that like got that one right is not high. So well, 
this is this is interesting though because you know I went back and looked at what we have for Mahomes and he did throw a lot of turnover worthy or did have a lot of turnover worthy plays at Texas Tech and now he's he's kind of taken that a little bit out of his game and he's kept the Patrick Mahomes plays and he's now he's Patrick Mahomes so I don't so I can forgive myself a little bit because he was throwing the ball to the team a lot more and it's changed now in the NFL. All right. I want to start with this before we get into the draft takes, because I feel like this is taking Twitter a little bit. What is your favorite thing to do in PFF ultimate now that you do have access? (laughs) Uh, The Oklahoma fucking guard tackle counter like series is awesome. Like you're just (laughs) sending that out after watching them all is fantastic. I, I'm I'm just trying to figure out. I'm like, hey, what is the signature play from a team or a player? And then I'm trying to find those specifically. So there might be a there might be a Tr- Mitchell Trubisky throwing to his left compilation Ooh. in the near future. <laughs> that is fantastic. All right, well, let's get into this draft class here. Like, give me your favorite, some of your favorite picks from this 2020 NFL draft class. Well, I, you guys talked about it a little bit, but I, I still think Tua at five is is still weirdly really good value considering he's I mean he's he's QB2 but at the same time you can make the argument that he's QB1B if you if you kind of look at some of the negatives surrounding Burrow in terms of his age in terms of kind of the unsustainable play from 2019 so getting that type of player at 5 is unbelievable for them they didn't have to trade up they still were able to have their three picks in the first round so that is I mean, that's fantastic. I think, yeah, you know, I, I love talking, that pick. If we're just talking about the quarterbacks, you know, you guys know how I feel about Jake Fromm. So I think getting him in the fourth round is fine. Fifth? A fifth, fifth round. So there you go. Getting him in the fifth round is, is, is more than fine. But th- this is the thing, and, and maybe you guys can, can shed some light on where I'm going with this. But like, my biggest problem with where some of the quarterbacks went were, you know, when I look at Herbert and Love, they're both flawed. And why are they valued in the first round when other flawed quarterbacks who have probably have the same amount of upside, to tell you the truth, are either going undrafted like Anthony Gordon or picked in the fifth round like Fromm or, you know, Cole McDonald who can't who throws the ball like a like a grenade like in the in the seventh round? Like why why are they valued so much higher? I mean, look, I, I think I know the answer, but I just like, I, I don't kind of don't get that. I think it comes back to the all it takes is one. Like yeah. one team falls in love with one guy, and especially at the quarterback position, and they get drafted sixth overall. Maybe there's three teams in the NFL that would have done that, but like that's all, like 29 other teams might have fifth round grades in this guy, but all it takes is one to have it. And especially at the quarterback position, like no one, like even like even we here at PFF, like no, there's no one science or one thing that like 1,000% sh- says this guy's going to be great. Like we loved Baker Mayfield coming out. He hasn't been, you know, he hasn't turned into a top five quarterback in the NFL. He hasn't turned into a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. So like there is no, uh, and, and we like when Patrick Mahomes was coming out, didn't necessarily call him a top five quarterback in the NFL and he has been. So there's nothing. So like, I think people will like, then talk themselves into it's easy to talk yourselves into these guys with this sort of under the understanding that no one knows sort of thing is that if that makes any sense yeah for sure well i will say the thing with baker is that we did see at least you know 
He's had two seasons now. One of them is is spectacular, really. The second one is is pretty bad. But at least there was something there that you could say, okay, well, he did show it uh, for however many games, 12 games or whatever, at the NFL level that he is a starting quarterback. And he honestly, his rookie season, he's a top 12 quarterback, top 10 quarterback. He just fell off a cliff. So at least with Baker, there's something there going forward that you can kind of hang your hat on. Let, let's get to your least favorite picks. Which picks in maybe days one and two that you feel like were drastic reaches or just bad picks at the at the value that was still available on the board? Well, I mean, I, I, I kind of go back to this to the two quarterbacks who got picked in the first round because Herbert, uh, I, I'm less I, I said something on this podcast <laughs> two weeks ago that I want to reel back in a bit. I don't think Herbert is just an absolutely terrible quarterback. And he grades fine for us. And if you want to say that the scheme was bad and you want to say that the receivers he had was bad, were bad, that's fine. But at the same time, quarterbacks tend to be scheme and kind of, you know, other, other player independent, especially the good ones. So he, yeah, so he graded like, what, in like the mid-80s for us, low 80s. Like that's fine for a college quarterback. But I don't know if that's, NFL talent right there. And so for him to go sixth is for me, it's such a reach when you can find, like I said before, these kind of flawed, flawed quarterbacks in later rounds and try and turn them into starters. And then Jordan Love, I mean, he just, he has not shown it at all. Even in the year where he was supposedly this breakout star under Matt Wells in 2018, we don't really grade him that well. He grades like 77, which is not only bad in the entire FBS, it's he's like the 23rd ranked quarterback in just a group of five quarterbacks that year or, or over the past two years. So like there's not a lot to go on with Jordan Love. Obviously, he looks good doing it. The flash plays are there, but on a play-to-play basis, it's it's not only average like like Herbert in the low 80s, it's bad. It's like 75 grade. It's not good. So that is super concerning that the Packers thought this guy was the guy they needed to trade up for when they have ostensibly no quarterback issues there on the team. Yeah, man. That, that I mean, it's been talked about. I mean, it might be their best pick of the draft class. Unfortunately, <laughs> like Jordan Love might be their best I, pick. I don't think it's pick. might be. It's like that dude is their best pick. That sucks. Like that sucks. I mean, it's it's rough. We were just talking to Steven about like how bad is this Packers draft? Like, is it is it as bad as we think? And he's like, Yeah, honestly, it's pretty bad. So that's where we're at with that. I want to talk more about so you talked about Jordan Love, Justin Herbert, a little bit on Jake Fromm, getting him in the in the fifth is obviously good value. How about Jalen Hurts? Because like with the Eagle Eagles fans are like irate that this happened. They're upset that they passed on other positions to grab a backup quarterback, but like PFFs of the opinion, and Steve has talked about this, Mike has talked about this, that Jalen Hurts at 51, I think, is where he was selected. is like very good value for a team that, of all teams, should know the backup quarterback position is super valuable and can help you down the stretch. Like Carson Wentz is injury prone. You won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. What's your opinion of Jalen Hurts initially, just the player? And then what's your opinion of that pick overall? I, I keep going back and forth with, with Hurts because, you know, he grades really well for us. His accuracy numbers are fantastic in last year in 2019 in Oklahoma. But then you look at the other guys, I was talking to Steve about this. Like you look at the other guys who just 
who preceded him in that Lincoln Riley system, and they both grade better than him. So it's like, yeah, he's he grades at an elite level for us, but the two guys who preceded him graded at such an elite level that he's still the number. Th- he's still like, it could be a product of Lincoln Riley's system and a lot of the throws he's making are to open receivers, and he's accurate on those throws, but it's a lot easier to be accurate when when the receiver is wide open. Yeah. So. So I like I said I kind of go back and forth. I still when I watched the game it still felt like he was making the right decision most of the time. He obviously adds value as a runner. That's no question. He's he's almost you know, he, he's he's really good. Like this is not just like a uh, a guy who can like make a couple of plays outside the pocket. He really can add to your to your running game that way. So I, I like it. I still think that Maybe with where the some of the other quarterbacks went, and I keep going back to the Anthony Gordons and the Fromms and the Cole McDonalds and not the James Morgans, but where those <laughs> guys <laughs> where those guys went is probably closer because it's like if those guys are going later in the draft and they have similar issues to their game, then maybe Jordan Jalen Hurts in the second round is not the best value. I think it's good value for that team. Because, like you said, I, are, are we ever going to see a, a truly healthy Carson Wentz? Who really, who knows at this point? So I think it's kind of if he goes to a team that's not Philadelphia, I'm scratching my head a little bit. But going to Philadelphia makes it kind of make a lot more sense. I feel like if the Eagles listen to him as running back, Eagles fans would be happier with the pick. You know, they'd be like, "Oh, hell yeah, another running back. Nice, good. We needed one." Like Eagles of... fans, yeah. Eagles fans don't like Carson Wentz, is from what I from what I understand about Eagles fandom. They well, they like it's like they either don't like him or they are so in love with him that like if you suggest that he's injury prone, they're gonna like be in your throat being like, No, he's not. It's all flukes. It's yeah, fluke. there's like no middle ground. Yeah. All right, I want to finish the pod with this. I want to talk or finish the interview with this is, is talk about this 2021 class. I know you're working on a handful of pieces on Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence. I know you're a big D. Crum fan, the, the, the Kent State quarterback. Talk to me about this 2021 class. Austin. Dustin. <laughs> D. Crum. Yeah, that's his nickname. It's D. Crum. It's nicknamed D. Crum, Mike. The, the, I know. The, no one knows what we're talking about, though. <laughs> uh, so, I, yeah, I watched. Start with Obviously, D. Crum. Good. <laughs> I have no, I have no takes on Dustin Crum. I'm sorry. <laughs> he just, I saw his, like, you know, he just keeps popping up when I kind of look through the the next draft class. Him and this guy named Lane Hatcher from Arkansas State both grade really well for us. So I'm gonna take a look at the film and see if it's not all scheme based. Um, so okay, we'll see about that. But... On the nickname at the end of the process too, like just just okay. let it sit for a little bit. But let's start. I guess let's start with Trevor Lawrence. Maybe someone who T Law, if you will. <laughs> So I, I obviously we all know how good he was in 2018, and I'm just like I have the st- stats in front of me. He's like, when he becomes a starter in week four, and he and he has like I think 32 dropback passes in the first four weeks while Kelly Bryant is a starter. He's fine. He, he gets the job done, but it, it, he's a backup. And then they just can't. Obviously, we know what happened. He, they can't keep him off the field. He becomes a starter. Kelly Bryant transfers in the middle of the season. I think his grade after that is like 94.3 just on dropback passes. So not even like getting the, the RPO or the screen pass bonus, like just on 
NFL dropback passes. He's 94 as an 18 year old true freshman. I think that, and they go on to win the national championship. It's incredible. You know, we t- I think we talked about this a little bit on on the pod that I was on last week or two weeks ago. Like his timing is impeccable. The ball placement is not elite elite, but it's still way above average. And he just didn't make mistakes. Like every read you understood where he was going with the ball. You know, he he threw to the right receiver, you know, 90% of the time. And he's just incredible. And then he comes into 2019 with kind of the weight of the world on his shoulders and he stinks. He absolutely is like the worst quarterback that's ever lived. He totally forgot how to play quarterback. He's staring down receivers. And this is the thing that's crazy to me is like, like I understand you have T Higgins and Justin Ross, but like, you can't just stare at a fade route against like a, a single high safety in the NFL. Mm-hmm. You can get away with it in college, but that's that safety is sitting at 20, you know, 15 plus yards in the NFL. He's not, he's not sitting there at 10 yards in that, in that like, you know, sit down stance where he can't get to the sideline. Like you can't do that in the NFL. And he was doing it all throughout the first half of, 2019 and then kind of to go along with that his accuracy is absolutely terrible and like when you go you will watch like the t higgins highlights from 2019 it's all all his insane catches are because trevor lawrence can't get the ball to him and he has like there's there's two against texas a&m on the same drive where he throws wildly behind t higgins and higgins bails him out so he just he stopped he forgot how to play quarterback. It's crazy. His accuracy numbers in the first half of 2019 puts him at like 107th I think in the country. That's behind the Kentucky quarterback that they benched for a wide receiver. Like that's how bad he was in the first half of 2019. He was throwing the ball bad. He was throwing the ball to the other team. And then he settled down and figured out, okay, look, I, 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 can't, I'm, I can't just like walk on the field and win games just because I'm Trevor Lawrence. And then you saw back-to-back-to-back-to-back elite quarterback games from him. So I hope as a fan of quarterback play, I hope that this is what we get going forward. I hope he kind of learned his lesson and puts on another great show as a true junior um, in 2020. Because he's he's really he's opened the door for for Justin Fields to come in and and potentially be the number one pick in the draft next season. Oh man, I, I think we need the social team to cut. Trevor Lawrence actually sucks, according to Seth Galina. <laughs> is that's the thing that we're gonna cut? He can't here. play, Mike. He can't play, Mike. He can't play. Trevor Lawrence <laughs> just can't play, Mike. Your your take on what Seth said in terms of like you know what Trevor Lawrence first half versus second half of the season. Yeah, I was like floored. You know, I'm pumping him up. I'm writing these articles. I'm like, oh, Trevor versus Tua. Like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, right. Like, Trevor's the guy. Uh, and then, like, the three weeks of the season, he has, like, those two, the picks against Syracuse where it was, like, throws it into a linebacker's chest. And I'm just like, yeah. oh, God. Yeah, like, he didn't have a single one of those as a true freshman that has multiple at the beginning of the season. But I think some of that is just, like, it, it was his freshman year was out of this world. It's just something was different. Maybe they put more on his plate. I have no clue what happened sophomore year, but like you, like you said, the second half of the year, you're like, okay, this guy's a dude. And then the LSU game, just the accuracy was all over the place. Like he's making good decisions with the ball, but the accuracy somehow just failed him in that one. 
So I'm I'm expecting next level. The Fields Lawrence conversation is still not really a conversation to me. It just from what we've seen, like even if Fields plays a little better next year, like grading wise, I'd probably still lean Trevor Lawrence because as a true freshman, he buried teams. I just think with his arm, including the Fighting Irish, you know what you're getting. Uh, <laughs> yes, I was. I it buried me. I don't even remember watching the Alabama game after that. Dude, I think I was with you for that game. You were like crying in your own pants. It was rough to see. <laughs> rough to see. Uh, I'm just waiting for Decrum, my guy Decrum, to come out of Kent State and just make some plays next year. I'm really looking forward to that. Seth, that sounds always like a, a euphemism for. But continue. Okay. <laughs> Seth, Seth, it's always good to have you on Two Four Drafts. Really appreciate you coming on. I look forward to all the work you got coming out. If you guys don't follow Seth Galena, you should. PFF underscore Seth dropping fire content on the draft class. Also, he's very good college content. Really looking forward to your content with your first full season with PFF. Seth, really appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon.